friends welcome to the first episode of the second season of the soul kitchen i'm talking to candace allen from canada whom i met at mind valley university in uh, in estonia and she is a soul teacher and the inventor of the soul spark approach and i was very interested in this because the purpose of soul kitchen is obviously to help people to live their quest quest to live their purpose, to live according to their soul. So I really want to know everything about uh, the Soul Spark. Hello, Candice. How are you? Uh, how are you today? Hi, Jasper. Hi, everybody. I'm doing fabulous. You're doing fabulous. How was uh, Mind Valley for you? Mind Valley was definitely life changing. Um, not only the people that I met, including yourself, all the things that I was able to learn. Um, being a volunteer, I don't know. It was just, it was amazing. I'm still on the Mind Valley high. I think. I can imagine. And um, how did you get onto the Mind Valley uh, platform or community? Yeah, um, it actually, I resisted it for a while. Um, I don't even remember how it first started, but I remember kind of thinking, I don't know if I want to spend the money. The money is worth it. But it was really the Silva Ultramine um, quest that had come up. And that's how I began with Mind Valley. And I've um, gotten involved with lots of different quests because there's so many interesting things from health and relationships and business. So um, my ADD self though tends to get caught up and then I try something new and then I come back. So, um, but it was the silver ultra mind that got me started. So it started with the Silva ultra mind. I read that yeah. he, uh, he was an engineer and he developed this, this method for the mind, but can you explain what it is? Yeah. So one of the things that I really loved about it were the meditations that really got us focused on um, just really connecting and being open. And um, it's really about, to me, the the manifestation, what our mind, the, the power of our mind and what we tell it and what we believe and uh, just really connecting to that to really make the life that you want more um, feasible. Um, so I started that back in January and I've done a lot of other things since then. But when we were at Mind Valley, I was volunteering when they were doing that. But I got to pop in um, when they were doing um, one of the meditations. And I think what it is is just that connecting. And um, it was, it's Silva, I mean, for his time, right? Going back to the 50s, the 60s, quite innovative and um, daring, very interesting. So it's about mind manifestation. Um, so what attracted you specifically to that method was there something you wanted to manifest something you wanted to change well i am very intuitive and i use my abilities uh, my intuition i'm very connected to the mind-body connection about how our 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 the way that we think and what we tell ourselves how it impacts our body so that's one of the things but also just about using my ability to tune into other things. So I don't even think you know this yet, Jasper, but I do readings and um, I'm very capable of noticing my voice, my ego voice, my conscious thought. I'm very um, adept at hearing the voice of my guides and understanding, you know, that I call it the difference between the crow and the butterfly. So the crow is the yapping ego, you know, a lot of words, caw, caw, caw. And the butterfly is the whisper and it doesn't try to convince you. And it just is subtle and concise. And that's the voice of whether it's your guide or your higher self. And then I also am able to speak to spirit. So I don't refer to myself as a medium because I don't know when spirit's going to come in. It actually happened at Mind Valley for a young woman unexpectedly. Um, and so I just wanted to use Silva to really even get more clarity and more focused on the abilities that I already possess. 
And you also mentioned the mind-body connection that you're interested in that. And then you yes. the soul spark. So how are the body, the mind, and the soul spark related? Well, first I should say what the soul spark is. So um, the soul spark, as I mentioned to you, is quite a new concept. However, I realized that I'd been guided to this for quite a while, which is so ironic when um, when I look back and how I describe the whole approach of the soul spark. So what I like to tell people is imagine that the day you took your first breath. So you're just, you come into this world and you take your first breath, that a fire is ignited inside. And I always see it at your heart center, right? And, you know, think of it as like a match that's been lit and it never goes out until you draw your last breath. The thing is, is that I imagine that when we come into this life, excuse me, that we know exactly what we're supposed to do. We're on the soul's journey. And then we forget because we become our human selves and our ego gets in the way and our core beliefs from the people we're around. But that spark inside is our internal guide, our divine light that's within us. And you'll notice that when we were at Mind Valley, a lot of the presenters were saying a similar thing. However, the things that have come to me, and I think this is when you are understanding of the connections of us as humans, us as beings, us on the planet, that you'll notice that all those beliefs are kind of interconnected anyways, and you don't have to read a book about it. It's just, it's kind of like this knowledge that comes to you. So when you imagine the spark, so I like the visual aspect of this fire burning inside, imagine a gas fireplace that's just like, it's always there. But when you do the things that you feel drawn to say yes to, that um, you don't question and you don't know why you want to say yes, it just makes you feel good. Then imagine that your soul spark lights up. It just gets bigger and brighter because you just said yes to what your soul is calling you to do. And the more you do that, the bigger and brighter it becomes and it comes outside of you. So imagine your aura or whatever, you can call it whatever you want, but imagine that energy that's coming out of you, the more you're doing what's in alignment of your soul. And then you're drawing to you the people, the opportunities, the experiences that are in alignment with you and what you're meant to do on that soul path. So you, a lot of us live life where we get in our own way or we listen to other people and we get distracted. And it's never too late to say yes to what your soul spark is calling you to do. Um, whether you're you know, 27 or 87, there's always a chance. Um, and if you don't get it this time around, then I like to believe that there's the next time. And it sounds very straightforward. You listen uh, to what feels right. You say yes to the things that feel right. So why is it so difficult for many people right. to their soul spark? Can you explain that? Yeah, I think the thing is, is that, um, like I was saying, we're so conditioned. Imagine at the beginning, um, and actually one of the speakers at Mindvalley used the same um, analogy, and I use this all the time with my students. During the day, I'm a high school teacher. Um, here in, in Windsor, Ontario. But, you know, I, I would say to students, like, imagine when you're a baby, you can't do anything. You just poop and cry and sleep. But at some point you, you push yourself up and at some point you start to rock back and forth and you start to crawl and then you want to walk and nothing's stopping you. But as you know, as we, um, and it starts pretty young, you know, by when we're told no, or we should, or we shouldn't, what's right and wrong. And then we stop trusting ourselves. And I think what's difficult, it's the same thing as, quitting smoking or losing weight or getting out of a relationship, it's hard to create new habits when we're so used to what we're already familiar with and we're used to our own stories. And the story of, well, this is how I am, or that's not possible for me. And we have to hear um, what we're saying um, and check in with ourselves, trying to be in the moment, trying to be very gentle with ourselves. I always say, I love the me that I love the me that's complaining right now. I love the me that just snapped at my kid because I'm doing the best that I can today. But the more aware we are of our repeating patterns and we keep it simple to just catch ourselves and then try to push ourselves out of our comfort zone and listen to that inner voice that says, say yes. And then once you do that, it starts to get easier and easier, but it takes practice. And I think most people are still looking for the easy button and, um, or they're looking to other people to guide them and tell them what to do. But everything that we need is inside. If only we can tune in and listen. What is the easy button? The easy button is like, you know, taking, uh, and I'm not opposed to, um, you know, um, Western medicine, if that's what someone needs for any mental health issues. So I am not a doctor and I'm not trying to tell people what to do, but you can take all the medication and you can talk to all the therapists and you can go to, um, any guru, you can do all these things, 
but nothing will change until you make the choice for yourself. Um, and so there is no easy button because life is challenging and it's ups and downs. And we are our own biggest obstacle. And it has to do with really, I, I often say, I am the mirror to your soul. I And I don't know why I do what I do the way that I do it, but this is how I've been always since even when I was a child. I was saying to you earlier that people often tell me things and will be like, I don't know why I just said that to you. I, I haven't told anybody that or they'll cry. I get people to cry all the time. I'm like, it's a release. I'm like, oh, there's another one. Um, but the thing is, it's just like, um, I'm the mirror to the soul and I kind of... I'm able to say things that really is what you might need to hear, even if you don't really want it with love, with love and no judgment. Um, and then, you know, to kind of help people on the way to just being their best self. And how do people access that inner voice that you talked about? Well, I think that's different for a lot of people. I think the first thing is believing that it's there. Um, it's interesting. Um, the first part of my journey. Uh, so I had, um, a bit of a, well, not a bit, it was a huge rock bottom in 2013. And I remember the very first thing that had come to me was gratitude. And I remember resisting Oprah, if, if your viewers know Oprah, I think everybody does. Um, and I, that's why I kind of resisted because she talked about having a gratitude journal, I'm like, you know, whatever, I'll just say thank you for things. But what I did was I started to be really grateful for the things that were challenging in my life at the time. And we're often like, oh, thank you for this gift or thank you for the sunny day. But I was like, thank you to this person who is making my life a living hell because not everything was bad. And that's the beginning part was kind of like seeing gratitude. It allowed me to check in with what was around me instead of, instead of missing everything. I think it's, it starts with paying attention and it, I think it begins with gratitude. And then it was about being in the moment more often, noticing when I was jumping to the future and worrying about things or holding on to the past, things that already happened that could not be changed. Right. And also checking my expectations. Like when I was getting frustrated, well, what was I expecting to happen? Um, that's where a lot of our frustrations come. So as I was doing these things, I started to feel like I was crazy. And I'm like, I'm a horrible person. I'm complaining all the time. I'm worried all the time. I'm, you know, whatever. And then I came into that um, gentleness with myself. So I think that the beginning part, you have to see who you are. And then you'll notice more about what's going on in your mind, what you're thinking. And then there's that, you got to just notice what the crow is, right? So when you get into gratitude, when what you get into your expectations, the crow is the ego. Remember, it's just talk and talk and talk and caw, caw, caw. When you can pick that out and then get centered in the quieter voice, you just have to start paying attention. I do that. I recommend going for a walk in nature. I do that. In, this morning, I was up at 630. I'm out going for my hour walk and I'm just in nature, noticing the cardinal, the bright red cardinal or the rabbit sitting there looking at me. And you'll notice thoughts come to you in the shower. Perfect time for downloads of information, right? Um, and also in the car, turn off the radio, turn off your music and just drive. And those are the times when I get the best downloads. And when I say downloads, I mean that, that inner voice or the higher self or whatever. And it's different than that chattering of the crow or the ego. And I think it just takes practice. But acknowledging that we all have that inner voice, that soul spark, that whatever you want to call it, we all have it. So the first step is to just believe that it's possible and then make a conscious effort to just pay attention. That's a beautiful um, explanation. And I'm curious, you mentioned in 2013, you had this, uh, you hit rock bottom. Can you share a bit more about that? Yeah. So the rock bottom, it actually starts earlier than that. So just really briefly, I had a very traumatizing youth. Um, I had a, a father who was abusive. Um, and then my parents separated when I was eight. I, um, we were quite poor. And um, I'm also, there's three of us. I also have a sister who's two years younger than me, who's severely mentally handicapped. She has something called Angelman syndrome. So she's nonverbal. And then I had a brother two years younger than her. So four years younger than me. And my mom was single. Um, we were also biracial. So my mother was blonde, blue eyed from Holland. And my father was uh, black from Canada. And so race was a thing, even when I was a child. And then at 14, my family died in a car accident 
on January 1st, 1990. So, yeah. So it was New Year's Day of a new decade. And we were going to my Oma's. And uh, my mom was driving. My Oma was in the passenger seat. My brother was behind my passenger and I was behind the driver. And uh, the accident killed everybody except for me. And I, yeah, I shattered my femur. And after that, I had to live with my mom's brother. And then I got kicked out and I moved to Toronto, which was a big city. And all these things happened. Um, And then, um, but my personality as a firstborn, pardon? Your parents and your sibling. Uh, died yeah. in- well, my father, my father was not a part of my life. Uh-huh. Um, so I was, yeah, just with, um, I, I, like I said, I live with my mom's brother who's, um, white and I went to an all white high school and this is real. And it was horrible. This is like 1991, 92. And I experienced a lot of blatant racism. And so I'm also dealing with the death of my family. And then I'm dealing with racism. I'm dealing with family who don't understand. Um, And it was really, really horrible. So at that time in my life, I definitely thought about suicide. And I was like, why am I here? Like, why did I survive? But even at that young age, so I was 14. I had my birthday in the hospital eight days later. Um, but even then I had a feeling that there was a purpose for me and I was very stoic and it's quite odd to look back on my journals because, um, it doesn't seem normal for a kid who just lost her family. So moving forward, my, my, um, my aunt kicked me out and then I lived in Toronto, which was a completely different place. Cause now I'm around all sorts of diversity. And then I went to university just to get away. So that's why I chose to go to university was to move away and I flourished and it was great. Um, But jumping ahead, past all those other things. Um, In 2013, I had this um, really difficult thing with my family and my husband at the time was in nursing school and it felt like everything was crumbling and I was trying to hold it all together, but I just couldn't do it anymore. So I spent my whole life being strong and being determined and getting shit done. And then I just couldn't do it anymore. And I hit a rock bottom that was really bad, really dark. And I had nobody um, because the people that I would normally go to weren't there for me. And it was really bad. I I committed self-harm, which was odd because I would go to work every day as a teacher working with teenagers. And I was still able to do it. And I was still able to be a mother, but I would be crying in the in the shower every morning and I'd pull it together. I was very, very thin. I worked out a lot. And all I had was my physical strength. I had nothing else. I just, yeah. So then I started to come back and it started with, and I don't really know. I've always been in tune to spirit and I don't know what caused it, but stuff started happening. So in the course of a year and a half, I went from being practically suicidal to being fantastic. And I created a timeline to figure out how did that happen? And that became my eight principles, which I've used every day since. And I coach people with, and I teach them to my students and my own children and everybody I come across. And um, that's how my life began to change. And I feel like it, it became a a rebirth. Actually, my business back then was called Phoenix rising Mm. and it really was a symbolic rebirth. So that was, that's the thing. That's the rock bottom. I get goosebumps from your, your story. So the death of your family, the suicidal um, uh, feelings, and then the racism yeah. My mom also uh, died in a car accident, so I can, it resonates with me and it, yeah, I can un- imagine how tragic it is. Mm-hmm. And um, so how did this pain that you have experienced contribute to focusing on, on, on the, your life's purpose and, and your soul? Well, I truly believe that we all have a purpose and um, I believe, and I don't know how this sounds to your to your listeners, but I believe that I'm a healer. And I think the main purpose for me is love. Um, And I've always been that way. But now that I understand myself better, and I'm much more self-aware, I feel like, um, I don't know, it's such an interesting thing. I just feel like the, the fact that I lost my mother, not just losing my mother, because it started before that, it started with having a father. I mean, you know, they say that people have daddy issues. It's not that people have daddy issues. It's that their daddies had issues that then created challenges and issues for them. So it really goes back so far in my life. And actually it's, it's quite sad when I think about um, all those different stages of my life. I have so much compassion for this 
young child, this young girl, this young woman, grown woman who kept on going. Um, and I feel like my purpose without a doubt is to show love and compassion to every human being on the planet that crosses my path and to show them in whatever way that I am capable with the gifts that I have, how truly amazing they are and to assist them in connecting to their soul self um, because there's so much more than we could ever imagine. And I'm, I feel like I'm just beginning. And um, that's a beautiful um, purpose to have to, to, to share love and compassion with other people. And you mentioned that after hitting rock bottom, you developed these eight principles that guided yourself and, and now you guide others. But can you explain a bit more how they guided you, which one you picked? Yeah. Well, I shared the first four already. It started with gratitude, um, being in the moment, checking your expectations, and being gentle with yourself. So along the way, I was taking workshops or I'd meet people. Um, and that's how, so when I was doing my timeline, I'm like, what happened? And I, gratitude came up and then I did a, a workshop on mindfulness and things like that later on. So those are the four that you can practice every single day. And that's about self-awareness, right? When you're in tune to those things, you're going to get to know your patterns, your habits. And then later, um, then there is letting go of control, which is really <laughs> a big struggle for me. When you grow up without control, you tend to be quite needing to control things. Um, then there is about uh, forgiveness. Um, if I can just touch on that one real quick, because it was yeah, sure. really poignant. I went to this forgiveness workshop. Um, it was uh, rooted in Ho'oponopono, which is the Hawaiian, um, you know, forgiveness methodology and it's beautiful ritual practice. So I went there and I was thinking I wanted to forgive my uncle and some of the other men in my life, father, husband, whatever, or ex. And in the end, I realized that um, I had to forgive myself. And um, when I thought about my father in particular, who came up, even though it was unexpected, I, I was able to see him. So I tell people, imagine the person that you would like to forgive or you think you can never forgive beyond the role that they play in your life. So if I took away the role of father, then this man, his name is George. And he came from two parents who had a lot of trauma in their own backgrounds. My grandfather was in the first or second world war, excuse me, fought on the front lines, probably killed people, was shot himself, met my grandmother in Wales. And um, they both came to Canada as immigrants after the war. My grandmother developed tuberculosis. And when she gave birth to my father, she was in a sanatorium and um, healing still from tuberculosis and never got to hold her child. My father was given to another family to be raised as a, as an infant, newly born, and she did not see her son until he was three. So I imagine going back to my father, how far back would he have to go to heal? Was he loved? Was he nurtured? Um, and then dealing with the dysfunction in his family. You know, my grandmother not having, they had no family here. They didn't know each other well enough and all this stuff. And even though it doesn't condone his abuse toward my mother, it doesn't condone him and his actions toward his children. I was able to see him from a different light and release the anger and hurt that I had. And not everyone can do that. And it has to happen in your own time when it's right for you, but it's so freeing. And even my ex-husband, I have love for him. We have three beautiful children together. We had many years together and he taught me the lesson I need to learn that I chose him to show me how much more I deserve um, when it comes to love. And so when you're able to step back from once again, that crow, that ego, that's making it all that's happening to me and look at it from a different perspective. It changes everything. So the next thing, so that's, one, that's forgiveness. More. Go ahead. So to summarize, if you want to forgive people, it can yep. be useful to take away their role, like father, brother, husband, and, and see them in the context of their life. Without yeah, being people. To that specific relationship. Because that's every that's action true. is either an act of love or a call for love. Everybody. We all want to be loved. We're all trying to be seen, even the people that are doing horrible things. So when you're doing not very nice things, you don't love yourself because when you love yourself, you want to, you can be kind to other people. So, and it's never really about you. If it's about you, if you've done something and someone's upset with you, then you can say sorry and you can mean it and they may or may not accept it, but you need to forgive yourself. And that was the biggest thing is yeah, forgiveness of self first, forgiveness of yourself for holding on to people that are not doing you good, right? Because that's a choice that you've made. So it's a journey. I think that's uh, that's a beautiful insight. And this Honopono 
method from Hawaii? Does it also work on self-forgiveness or only for forgiving Absolutely. others? Absolutely. When you see yourself, you say, I'm sorry. I love you. Thank you. Please forgive me. Um, and you say those words to yourself and you add on whatever need, whatever message needs to go there. I'm sorry that I didn't treat you better. I'm sorry that I put you down and I'm talking to myself. I'm sorry that I, you know, had you choose people that didn't lift you up and please forgive me. And thank you so much for not stopping. Thank you so much for continuing on, you know? Um, and I love you. And when we can say that we love ourselves, oh my goodness. And it really is that, you know, that cheesy thing about looking in the mirror and saying, I love you. And um, it was, it's difficult. You got to fake it till you, till you become it, you know, yeah. not fake it till you make it, but fake it till you become it. Looking yourself fake and go, oh God, I love you. You know, and it's weird and it's awkward. And then it's like, yeah, I really do love you. And since when did you really own, own this self-love for yourself? Oh, it's been a process um, for sure. Um, you know what, Jasper, um, at Mind Valley. Uh, an aspect of myself came up that I never knew existed. And um, I had a whole new level of self-love that was very, very cringy. Um, I called this part the the ugly part. And I never thought of it as myself. I just thought about, you know, when you get really vulnerable and I would say to people, do you have that friend that you can be really ugly with? And it was like when you can snot cry and like you're being just kind of gross and like, you know, you don't want anyone else to see that. So that was a part of myself that I, you know, I can be very vulnerable. I told you, you can ask me anything and I'll answer. And I have no problem with that. But there's a part that um, I would hold in. So I went to this um, event and it came up. Someone called me out. I found that a lot of people at Mind Valley would call you out, say things, and be like, <laughs> I see you and I'm going to say it straight to you because that's what we're doing here at Mind Valley. Like, you know, you can't hide. And I really loved it and appreciated it, but it was awkward and uncomfortable at times. So I did this one workshop. It came up and I was like, wow, I never knew that existed. And then I did this rebirthing meditation. Oh my God. So I saw this aspect of myself. She looked about 14, which is when the accident happened, but it, you know, this part had been there this, my whole life basically. And what I learned was it was this ugly part. It was covered in shadow, kind of hunched down and, you know, I'll call her she, cause it's a part of me. She said, you never noticed me. You never knew how much I was caring for you so that you didn't stop, so that you didn't kill yourself, so that you didn't let everybody's cruel words, um, keep you down that that I'm what allowed you to keep going and do you know how hard that was and so then we did a forgiveness aspect in this um, meditation this breathing thing and I thought I was supposed to forgive her and she's like are you serious this is how like this part talked to me are you serious I need to forgive you and I was like but I never knew you existed I'm so sorry and it was so fucking horrible um to see that I never saw this for all the work that I've done. I just never knew, but it was so tucked down because it's so uncomfortable. Mm. And that's where the healing, you've got to see, you've got to see that part in you and yep. give that love. And so I thought it was going to go away. You know, I was going to release it, but it came into me it's and I, you. yeah. And I felt this tingling in my leg, my right leg, the leg that I shattered in an accident. Um, I have a lot of groin hip issues. So it's a lot of that right side, right? That mask, got to keep going, got to keep going. And I felt this tingling and a release through my foot. And I was like, oh my God. And it's still a work in progress. And I think that's what people need to understand. You don't just go in the mirror and go, I love myself and it's done. It is forever. That soul spark, it's going to dim. We're going to get down. We're going to feel sad. Things are going to happen, but you can ignite it again every time you show yourself compassion, because when you do that, it creates a ripple effect, like I said, and it will go out there and you will change lives um, just by your smile, just by the energy that exudes from you, because you love you. You are number one. So I understand the importance of, of self-love and, and I also understand it's still an ongoing process because even yep. you had, uh, had some, uh, some, some healing still to do. And before you go to seven yeah. and eight, before you go to seven and eight, I'm also interested in, in number five, the giving up control, the releasing. <laughs> Can you share how you did that and, and why it matters? Because, yeah, that's yeah. Well, that, that's interesting. So there's a whole phase in there called the effort phase. Okay. And um, yeah, or not phase, but part, I guess, aspect. I actually saw a license plate one day when I was literally going through this, trying to let things go, like effort. And I saw a license plate that was P-H-U-C-K or something. No, whatever. P-H-C-K it. And I'm like sounding it out. And then I realized what it was. And um, it was so funny because it was about just like 
letting go. But once again, you got to tune into yourself. And when control comes up, how do you hold on to control? How does it spill out and impact others? Um, what are you missing in life because you're trying to control things? So the effort um, and just letting what go is, of control. What is what? effort, actually? Fuck I don't it. remember effort. Fuck it. Oh, fuck, fuck it. it. Yeah, <laughs> fuck it. So COVID, COVID really taught me to just say, like, people here. So in Canada, I don't know if you guys know, but suppose we apologize for everything. And, you know, like, no, you go. No, you go. You know, like, we're so, like, and I'm like, people be apologetic. I'm sorry to keep you waiting. I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I learned patience. I'm like, just let go. COVID, you couldn't control COVID. You couldn't control what you could get your vaccinations or not. You could stay away from people. But if you're going to get it, you're going to get it. So COVID's a perfect example of fuck it. Let go of control. Um, being in the moment, you know, what can you really do? Um, and so that is a process. So like I said, when you're young, if you do not have control, if you cannot speak your mind, I wasn't allowed to be angry. I, I wasn't allowed to be me. I tried so hard to be what other people wanted me to be. And I know that there's listeners who know exactly what I'm talking about, that type A personality. I'm going to try and be perfect. I'm going to do my very best. I'm going to be a good girl or a good boy. And it's never enough. Fuck it. Fuck it. Just show up broken, show up flawed. And that's about letting go of control because control shows up and trying to be perfect. And you're never going to be perfect. You're never going to be what everybody else wants. But the more that you show up as you unapologetically, unless you need to say sorry, because we're going to be, we're going to say stuff or do stuff. That's not okay. You got to say sorry. But the more you show up as you, okay, I'm an educator. I work for the public school board. And yet people know that I do readings. People know that I am doing mind Valley or whatever. And I don't care what people think anymore. Well, that's not completely true. I can see when I do care and then I can say, fuck it. I see it. I love me, whatever. So all those things work together, right? You don't stop being grateful. You don't stop noticing when you're needing to have control. They all coincide together and they'll help you learn and grow more. So that's, that's what I have to say about letting go of control. It's a lot. <laughs> so when people are controlling, they want to control the outcome and maybe striving for, for perfectionism. Whereas once you learn once you let go, you also accept yourself more and accept how life goes instead of, uh, I think underneath to... it, underneath control is fear, fear of not having enough. So I've got to control my money, fear of not being loved. It's so underneath it is fear, fear. So, yeah. So control, control is driven by fear. And then the idea is to shift that towards acting from love. Yeah. Easier said than done sometimes. It is, it's beautiful. This theme has been coming up because I interviewed Anna. She's living according to the surrender experiment. Yes. One of the episodes. And I'm also in this shift from like wanting to perform and control to, to surrender. Surrender. It is, it is a beautiful process, actually, once you start trusting more and more. I do it with this podcast. So instead of making a list of people that I want to interview, I just ask people that I bump into like yourself yeah it's a more fun process it's, it's less controlling and more more trusting um so i think we we discussed six of your eight uh principles so which one are seven and eight on your list okay so seven is being generous and that starts with yourself so um i had a very lack mindset when it came to money probably due to the fact that i didn't have parents and that i had an inheritance but i thought what happens when that runs out so um, being generous was first um, being generous to myself and um, and then being generous to others, like just giving and not just not money necessarily, but time, um, compassion, love, you know, um, whatever. So being generous changed everything because when you withhold from yourself, you can't give to others. It creates like a martyrdom syndrome. Well, what about me? You know, I'm giving. And this happens a lot with women. I don't know men to the same degree. Um, but women especially, we're givers, we're nurturers. And then sometimes we're like, but what about me? So what I learned was when I'm looking to someone else to give to me, whether it's their time, their affection, or things, then I ask myself, how can I do that for myself? What what do I want? You know, what's your, I, I always say like, what's your why? What's underneath it all? You got to dig down. Well, I feel, you know, I'm feeling angry about this or I want that or I, well, why? And then when you dig down, you'll realize what that is that your soul's calling for. And then you can ask yourself, how can I give that to myself first? 
when you give more to yourself, then you'll realize you need less from other people and you'll appreciate what you get in a different way. Does that make sense? It makes sense. So first you're generous towards yourself and then you demand less from other people, but that's still a separate point from being generous to other people, right? Yeah. Or is it similar? Well, I think that it's the same thing about um, forgiveness. It's all the things. It starts with you. So everything comes back to you. And when you have more clarity about what makes you tick, what makes you, whatever is going on, then you can see how you're relating to other people. You can see whom you're drawing to you and why the lesson that these people are, are meant to teach you. And then you can start to shift your relationships because your perspective is shifting. So then you're, when you give to someone else, a stranger on the street or your child or your partner, you're doing it without expecting something in return. You're doing it from love because it fills you up. So there's so much more that comes from all of these things. Like we're just touching on it, but there's all these different layers. So I like to imagine that life is like an hourglass. You think you got it, right? Oh, I learned this. Oh, now I understand. And then the hourglass turns and there's a whole other layer, a whole new lesson. So it's not like you can look at it from this base level, the superficial level, the basics of I'm thankful for this day. I'm thankful that my heart's beating. And then you get deeper. And the same thing with being generous. It is just about treating yourself to a coffee instead of going, instead of making one at home, you want to go to Starbucks and spend five bucks on it. You deserve that if that's what you really want. So it's releasing, right? But then there's those whole other layers. So that's how I work with people is you start here, turn over the hourglass. Let's look at the next layer, right? And that's life. I um, I like that uh, principle. I just read the book of uh, Jay Shetty. He's the former monk and life coach. Yes. He, he talks about the concept in Buddhism, which is seva or selfless service. So is that... Um, uh, with being generous, is that something that you um, yeah, encourage people to do or, or did you learn from Buddhism as well? No, I did not learn from Buddhism. That's the interesting thing. The more I've become more aware and shifted from that breakdown I had in 2013, I've been reading so many books, um, you know, looking at Buddhism. I've got this, My one of my favorite things is this Wayne Dyer book, Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life, and how he looks at Lao Tzu and the Tao Te Ching and so many things. And I'm like, how is all this stuff out there? And I didn't read anything to find it. So just like Buddhism, that idea that we are all here, we all have a purpose. We all have our special, there's no other Jasper like you. There could be another Jasper with your exact name, but he is nothing like you because only you have that soul spark inside your magic, your your gift to the world. And so we're supposed to share that gift with others. And I don't care if you're a sanitation worker and your gift is to make sure that my city is clean and you do that from the with the best of your ability because that's what you do. You see things that need to be cleaned up and you take pride in what you do. Take pride in who you are and what like everybody, doesn't matter what you do, it creates a shift in this world, right? Especially if you do it from love, because everything comes back to love. And having appreciation for every other person and every other thing that is around us. So we are all meant to be of service and it starts with being of service through love, in that's, my opinion. Um, that's beautiful. I think uh, when, when you start to be generous, it, uh, yeah, it really gives meaning to your life. So I can understand yes. that that's an important principle. And, and what's the last principle of the eight? Yep. The last principle is trust your intuition. So you think that trusting your intuition might come first. We kind of talked about at the beginning, that inner voice, but until you are aware of you and you try all these other things, you won't really be able to discern between the ego and the inner voice because the inner voice is quiet and it's been drowned out for so long, but it's always there. So you got to try to tune in. And so when you trust your intuition, trust that, whatever you want to call it, that inner voice, the divine self, your higher power, whatever. When you start to do that more, it might take you out of your comfort zone, um, but it will never put you in danger because it is you. It is your essence, which brings us to the soul spark. So all those principles I've been working on and, and living by since 2014, 2015, and then it turned into the soul spark journey, but it is all those things that then came into this visual of how simple it really is. Because when you imagine this light inside and how when you're doing all these things and you're loving yourself and you're noticing yourself and blah, 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 and you're giving, then it's going to grow bigger and brighter and you're on that path. So I am now, I was a mindset coach, right? This idea of coach that I've got these strategies, these principles that I can share with you to get you on track so you never go back. 
However, I'm a teacher. I'm not very good at holding someone's hand along the way. You got to be ready to look in the mirror and see that part of yourself that you've kept hidden in shadow because it's in our darkness that we get to see the light. Um, so, so what's so, the difference between you being a coach and a teacher? So I think that a coach, it's like cheering you on, rah, rah, rah. I'm kind of the person I'm going to come in and I'm going to teach you. And then you take those things and you do with them what you want. You come back to me. Here's the book. Here's the, here's the, the lesson. Um, I'm a storyteller. So maybe I need to redefine my idea of coach. Um, but I tend to like to speak to the masses and share my thoughts and then leave you with that to kind of ponder and then come back if you have some questions and then I can talk to you specifically. But I'm kind of like, I guess you really have to be ready. I, I like get shit done. I'm like, when I get on it, whether it's working out, whether it's, you know, I'm like, I get pretty focused, right? I'm, I'm a Capricorn. I'm going to climb that mountain. I'm going to get it done. So a coach is much more... It's funny, I am literally a teacher, and I think that is the gift that I have is to teach, and I see you, and I can give you specific lessons, which is more what a coach would do. Um, so maybe it's a little bit of both. So so you're a sole teacher, and um, you have these eight principles that you can teach, and you mentioned that people need to be ready. Yep. I would like to learn from you, can you give one specific example of someone and describe what this person was doing before this person found the soul spark and then what the person was doing afterwards and how that shift happened to, to make it really practical. Yes. Um, I can absolutely share this person. Um, we really connected through COVID. We've known each other before. Now this was different than um, just a client. So this is a friend, um, but she's also a client. So someone who actually invested in the different, whether it's workshops, programs. Um, I did a retreat last September, which was phenomenal, a fall release retreat. And so this person has invested in the things that I share with the public. However, they're also a friend, which is an interesting relationship. But I've been able to see over time how um, getting my coaching all the time, because this is who I am all the time. So if you're my friend, if you're my child or my partner, I have to remember that I don't need to be a coach all the time and I don't need to teach you all the time that you're perfect where you are because I find it just comes out. But I'm going to tell you, um, and this person was just in tears the other day um, talking about the impact that I've had on their life. Um, so this literally just happened. And um, they just got an opportunity to go to Australia. So years ago, this person had gone to Australia um, and New Zealand and stayed in New Zealand on their own for about a month. And it was a very big life changing, like a shift. And I'm like, you're always talking about this trip. And she's like, yeah, you know, part of me feels like I want to go back there. So she literally just recently on LinkedIn got an offer to go work in Perth, Australia. Um, and she's like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, what is your, what does your intuition say? What does your soul say? And she's like to say, yeah, so she's married. She's got two children. And it's interesting because everything is falling into place. So her husband's probably going to go out there. She's going to put her kids in school there. It's not a forever thing. It's a, it's, you can go as long as you want, but the fact that she basically manifested this and her journeys come full circle, leading her back to Australia where the shift began. And um, she's learned so much. And what I notice is that she'll be like, she'll say, what would Candace say? Or she'll be talking to another person. She'll be mentioning things based on the principles that I exude all the time because it's how I live my life. I am walking my walk. I'm talking my talk. And so um, it's really interesting to see how much this person has shifted. Now, it's been over time. It's been through COVID, you know, basically these years. But And she has me all the time as a friend. Um, so I can only imagine if someone is consistent in their journey with me and in their journey in their own life. So you don't have to work with me. You don't have to be my friend because I, I, I got a lot of friends. I'm good. But it's about having that continuous, consistent, you know, focus, what you can do with your life. So to be able to see this in this person, to see that shift, how she checks in with it. I always say, watch your words. You know, it sounds very parenting. Watch your words, man. Like when you're talking, oh, I can't do this or I'm being hard on myself. I, I just say, I, I hear you. And I can say what your soul's hearing you, how your body reacts to that. And so um, that is the most profound change I've seen because I see this person regularly. But I also, real quick, it's amazing to see students come back um, and say the way that I impacted them. So this is who I've always been. And these are the messages that I've always shared um, I've always acted in love and seen people who for who they are. And I have students who come back now in their 30s that I taught in grade nine. And um, 
I can see the impact that these things have had. And the person is now still living in Perth? No, she hasn't left yet. It's only just happened. So it's all unfolding. Ah, so it's it's in the middle of the, the process. Yep. And, and what would you say has been the most important element if you look at these eight principles or what has been the, the breakthrough thing in this process? Um, being gentle with myself. I love the me that. It has yeah. been... Um, we have to be, because I think it all comes back to the forgiveness and the generous, all those things. Um, I said it before and I'll say it again. It all comes back to you. If I can't love myself, um, if I can't see the journey that I've undertaken and all the things that I've been through and how flawed I am because of those things that have impacted me, I am who I am based on my journey. But that story, um, I will write myself as the heroine as the thriver, not just the survivor before, you know, people wanted me to share my story because they're, it's so traumatic. And it's like, wow, you know, people will be in awe of what I've overcome, but I want you to see for who I am. Yeah. I got to share my story. So you understand how much I've gone through, but I'm beyond that. I am um, someone who is where I am, but it all started because I truly loved who I was because no one could ever love me the way that I needed to be loved if I didn't love myself that much first. And that's what I think everybody should start with. And I think because um, when you lose three people in a car accident, the risk is that you become victimized uh, for the rest of your life. Um, but you realize maybe because of this that you're the only one that can love yourself. So you had an acceleration in this process. Was there a clear point when you moved from victim to not being a victim? Well, you know, well, the interesting is when you say victim, I was thinking about also the warrior. I think that some people become the victim. And if I was the victim, I probably would have gotten pregnant young. I probably would have turned to drugs and alcohol. I probably would have harmed myself back then, um, made wrong choices. But I was a warrior at all times. I would like went to university to just move away. Like, that's how I rebelled. I'm like, I, screw you. I'm going to go to university. I'm going to move away. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to get three degrees and a diploma to show you how smart I am. That's how I, you know, rebelled. So I think that you have the people who are the victim and they just really self-sabotage. And then you have the people that push themselves to such a limit that they're not showing that they, that they need nurturing, that it's okay, that they don't have to be so strong all the time. So, and maybe there's other levels in between, but I think I was that person. Um, so the victim part was holding on for so effing long to people who did not want me. And after losing my mother, my Oma, my brother, you know, my family, those are the people that I live with. That's it. After losing them, I was like, it's actually just heartbreaking to think about how much I just tried to be loved. And it showed up with family and it showed up with, with men in relationships and the scraps that I would expect, or I would just accept scraps of love because I'm like, if, if I just try harder, you'll love me more. So that is the only victim part I ever had was just holding on, hoping that someone would love me, trying to convince them that I was enough. But the warrior part was when I got to that mountaintop and I didn't know where else to go and I started to fall and no one was there to catch me. And I had to crash um, and burn out. And that's when I rose again. So that's when things started to change. Um, and it's just gotten better and better and I'm stronger and stronger, but in a way that's different because I, I let my fragility come out, my tenderness, my, um, my vulnerability. And I think that makes me even stronger to actually be seen. And um, so, yeah, so I think it's just never ending. I'm still learning, man. I'm still growing and healing. Thank you for sharing. I, I get goosebumps again when I listen to your story and uh, the, the car accident is something we have in common, but also, the the working hard for love it's something that i recognize and i'm actually starting to learn that it doesn't make any sense and and then you also do it with the wrong people right you don't get yep. the love back and then you start working harder um which which doesn't make any sense rationally so yeah you've gone through um through a lot that's um that's that's um yeah it's it, yeah, I'm trying to, to think what I want to say. So I, I think you said you don't want to be, uh, yes, you've gone through all these things, but you've also moved uh, beyond that. And is that also something that you do with your clients that they maybe get stuck in certain stories and you help them to, to, to move beyond these stories? 
Yeah. So if you're talking to me, and this is this is interesting, I am very good at hearing what you're really saying. And so you can be talking, I'm like, okay, I don't know how to, like, what's a good example? I don't know. It happens all the time. So I don't care if you say anything about, you can be talking about another person or you can be talking about work or you can be talking about yourself and I'll hear, I'm able to hear underneath the mask. So um, I've always been able to do this as an educator. I work with at-risk youth, usually the ones that are just like, screw school and nobody cares. And I'm like, okay, but I see you. So, so when are, you put a wall up, huh? What, what are you hearing in me? No, maybe we can practice. Nothing. Well, we haven't really talked. So you have to talk to me. We can do that after. And I'll, I will call you out, Jasper. I would love to, um, I would love to talk with you. But when you hear that stuff about love, if you were to talk about relationships and how you're showing up, I can see what, I can see what it is that you need. And I can see what it is that you are saying without you saying the actual words. And I will, I will. So if you're telling me your story, and I'm like, what's something that comes up? What's a story that you repeat a lot? You know, I got to work really hard. And then we'll break that down. And then underneath that, why you need to work hard is because if I don't prove that I'm that I'm working really hard, then I'm not really supposed to be in this role. Then I'm just, you know, whatever. So when I'm working with clients, when I'm working with students, when I'm just talking to a stranger on the street, um, the number one thing I'm able to do is be gentle with you. So I'm never judging you because you're exactly where you're supposed to be in this moment today. We're always flawed and imperfect. So today, whatever you're doing, it's okay. And I see you and I love you and it's okay to be who you are. And so I think that makes people feel comfortable because I think people can feel that I mean it. So I was telling all kinds of people at my Valley that I love them and I meant it. And I was really good at seeing people who just needed to be seen. Um, I'm, I'm very adept at making, allowing people who don't want to be vulnerable, be vulnerable, right? And um, so... I think when I'm working with someone, they have to be ready to be seen. It's that mirror. I will be the mirror and I will reflect back what you don't want to see in yourself. And I'm going to do it with so much love. It's going to make you uncomfortable. Um, and then I'm going to just love you more. And then you send you on your way and you can then learn how to love yourself better. But I've learned that one of the challenges with being me is I give out so much love. Um, and I'm really learning how to be able to receive. So as much as I'm doing, as much as I'm aware, um, there's that part that also knows when to, I can set boundaries, but my heart is just like, I just give love to everything. I'll save a worm on the street and talk to a kid or it's just who I am. Uh, but I'm excited to kind of get into receiving more. So you want got to find that balance. You want to balance more yes. giving and uh, receiving and, have you been receiving some love uh, recently or is that question too private? I have been receiving some re some love recently from an unexpected source. Um, and once again, I have to go through all those things about being in the moment, not overthinking things, letting go of control. All those things come up all the time because I am still a human being that analyzes things. I look into things a lot. Um I'm always thinking about what's the right thing to do. Is this, you know, so I see me and sometimes that's difficult because when you see yourself so much, you can, you know, hear what that crow's saying all the time, the ego voice. So I'm being in the moment. I am having a lot of fun and I am enjoying myself. That's uh, beautiful. I'm so happy to hear that you have been um, receiving some, some love from unexpected uh, sources. These are always the best. And when I listen to your story, it looks like you've learned a lot from life itself. Mm -hmm. But I'm also curious, um, are there any uh, teachers or books or certain resources that have inspired you that might also be interesting for the one listening? Yes. Um, there's a book I'm looking at it right now. One of the books that I loved, actually, starting going back to 1996, I remember reading The Celestine Prophecy. And I read it too. Yes. And I remember I had gone to Turkey unexpectedly and I was in Istanbul, Turkey, and I happened to connect with this person. So I'm young in 1996 and I don't remember how old I was, 21 that just came to me and we were talking nonstop. So that was this first book that, and that's a long time ago. I've since read all the, the books in the Celestine Prophecy series there, but there was a book called Your Soul's Plan. Your Soul's Plan. I don't remember who the author is. I'm looking at the spine of it over there. And that was really interesting. And that had to, because when I talk about the soul's journey, 
that's really important to me. That really resonates, especially with all the things that Jasper, you and I have gone through with losing people in our lives that, you know, and that maybe that our souls chose that for this lifetime. And so that's a whole other thing, but I really recommend that book. Um, another book is called the Lotus and the Lily. Oh my goodness. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I also love this Wayne Dyer book um, because how he takes the Tao Te Ching, which is from what, I don't know, 1,000, 1,500 years ago and puts it into um, everyday language. So those are the, those are some of the ones that I really, really love. Um, but there's many, I love to read self-development books. So Celestine Prophecy, Your Soul's Plan, The Lotus and the Lily, and then the Wayne Dyer book. Yeah, and Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life. Yeah, regarding the, uh, can, you can you repeat that? Yeah, change, change, your, thoughts, your, change, change your thoughts, change your life. Living the wisdom of the Tao. Uh, I, will, um, I will add these, yeah. these resources to the episode so people can check it out. But about the Celestine Prophecy, this is a story about someone that goes to uh, Peru. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they describe is that you you meet people for a reason and that people teach you a certain lesson and that yeah. there are certain synchronicities in life. Can you elaborate what you learned from this book related to the things I just mentioned? Yes, it's so that's one of the, the main ones that I remember. And so when I was in Turkey, this this guy and I, we were talking about like how we were supposed to meet, and this isn't a coincidence. Um, so what's interesting is I like to write in books sometimes. So I underline, I make little notes in the margins. And it was really interesting to look back at what I wrote back in 1996, what had stood out to me far before I was ever consciously aware of all the things I've shared with your listeners, right? Like this is back in the day stuff. Um, and the other thing was really like looking, I'm looking out my window right now and I've got these big oak trees in my front yard and how I see nature now. So how I can look and when the, the leaves are moving in the wind or, you know, the bird, I, I just see things so differently. It started with being connected to myself and then being connected to the people around. Like every person on this planet is my brother, sister, mother, father, cousin, grandparent, whatever. And we're all breathing the same air. You know, it doesn't matter if you're on the other side of the planet, you're in Sweden right now, but the air that's circulating around us and we're all connected. And that's why I'm like, I am you and you are me. And I saw that in that, in the Celestine prophecy that we're all connected and that the people that you meet, there's something in that there's, there's something, whether it's just this quick moment, even if it's just the energy that you're sharing, um, whether it's negative or positive energy, there's something to be seen in everything, but you don't want to get so over analytical that you're breaking down. Everything is the leaf telling me something. No, it's not about that. It's really about just enjoying utilizing your senses, appreciating the things that you have around you, not always rushing through things. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a beautiful story. I, I like it too. Uh, I think if people start to analyze everything, then it's a bit ridiculous. Like if someone yeah. lost their shoe, like, oh, this must have a reason. But I do, especially when I'm in a plane or in an airport or in a train, I tend to have certain encounters that are quite meaningful. And in these situations, I, I like to see like, what does it mean? So why have we met, for instance? How would you, just to make it practical again, what, how would you say that? That's really interesting. So we had a few journeys. I remember the first time well, maybe, I, maybe it's not the first time. The time I remember is when we were talking, and it is the first time, I can see it clearly at the registration desk, and I was really engaged with talking with you, and I can imagine our energy. So I'm always like, what does it look like? I imagine I, you know, I don't know, in my mind, I've got this yellow and pink energy kind of interacting between us, and we were really engaged, and then you talked about Soul Kitchen, and I just wanted to talk to you more, but then we didn't really talk that much. Um, I would see you. I think there were some hugs along the way over the course of three weeks. Um, and, but we kept seeing each other and there was all these other people. So there was something about our energy being drawn to one another and then just doing this podcast. But I truly believe that there'll be another conversation between us um, that maybe there's something that we're supposed to learn from each other. Like I'm going to have a conversation with you. You don't have a choice now <laughs> where you tell me a little bit more because we didn't really get to know each other. No, you know, that, um, that's true. At a conference, sometimes it's quick. Oh, sh sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say about the when you had your grief workshop, and I wanted to come 
but then I didn't come. And the reason why I didn't come is I, I felt like, I think that that's when I kind of had learned about that aspect about myself that I shared earlier, that I almost didn't want to go there. I didn't want to go back to my story of grief. And I didn't know if I wanted to be around that. And I'm sure it was perfect. It was my own thing. Um, but I think that whatever conversation we have next, we're going to have our own conversation about that thing that we have in common about a tragic accident and um, a little bit more about our own personal journey. So hopefully you're in agreement that that conversation will happen. We'll see what happens I'm, next. I'm definitely in, in agreement. And I, um, yeah, when I first met, I liked our energy. And of course, you're working on the soul spark and, and working on the soul kitchen. But then when I found out we both have had this, this car accident in the family, for me, of course, it creates a connection because I don't meet people every day. Yeah. That have had <laughs> such an experience, right? So that's uh, definitely something that we, we share in common. And I think you are a bit ahead of uh, in your path that you support others maybe in, in, in finding their soul spark. But I have a similar um, uh, maybe vision because what I've experienced, I'm more aware that life is short and that it's a waste of your time to do things that you're not meant to do. So yeah. I think with the soul kitchen, I'm also on that, uh, that path. So, but let's know, let's definitely have that conversation. And um, is there anything else about the Celestine Prophecy that you, that you remember? I quite like the book. I recently read it. So that's why I'm asking. Well, really? There, yeah. I haven't read it for a while. I just know that I've read it more than one time. I've read, I remember when I read the Celestine Prophecy and then I was going to read the 10th Insight. And I'm like, this is dumb. I was like, no, this is stupid. And I couldn't read it. And then when I came back to it, I just wasn't ready yet. Hmm. So... I think that um, we can't put pressure on ourselves to be this woke, aligned, spiritual person. Then it becomes inauthentic and disingenuine. Um, it's a journey. And you can, when you sense that somebody that you're around that you thought was that you were in alignment with and was a great teacher, there's always going to be other teachers and that we are all teachers because we all have something to share and our own stories and journeys are so special that, um, and that's not for everybody. I'm definitely a sharer. Like I love it, right? I love talking. I love meeting people. Um, but even if your story is just shared with the people that love you the most, um, show up for who you are. And I think that that's a message from in, embedded in the Celestine prophecy as well, that it's just that connection. Um, and I loved it. Yeah, it's about being aware that you can teach something to each other. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your, your recommendations. And maybe um, if someone is listening and they're interested to find out more about their soul spark, how can they start? Are there certain questions that they can, that they can journal about? Yes, um, that's very interesting that you say that because after when we were in Mind Valley, after doing the Soul Spark um, workshop, um, people wanted more. So I created a whole other workshop um, out of the blue, and it was called Soul Search Unlocking the Wisdom Within. And I've got a bunch of questions that are different um, segments of your life from childhood, relationships, career. And so um, maybe I can share them with you and you can post that. Um, there's a Google Doc and they're in there. And um, what you want to do though, is you don't want to think about the answers. This is not just a journaling thing where you're just getting deep into them. You're taking a very short period of time, no more than a minute per question, and that you're just doing automatic or intuitive writing. What are the first things that pop into your mind? Because then you're going to understand more about um, the whole soul spark. The whole soul spark though, is just imagine that light within see that fire burning in your heart center. And when you say something that lights you up, when you do something, when you're around people that you feel connected with, when you get excited and you know, when you get excited, you speak faster, you got a big smile, your eyes are sparkling, then you know, you're on the path of your soul path, that your soul spark is ignited. And when you feel in doubt or you're questioning, you're going to other people, then you're just dimming that light. So I like the visual because it's so simple. So if you can tune into that, then you're going to become more aware of that what's inside and um, you can't go wrong. That's, uh, that's beautiful. I love if you share these uh, documents with me, that will be great for the listeners uh, to work on. I really enjoyed this uh, conversation. I think it's really important work that you're, that you're doing. With the Soul Kitchen, I'm in the search of the flavors of the intangible and the soul is also something intangible, but it is really important. So... I thank you very much for all your wisdom. Before we close the, the episode, is there something else that you want to share 
with the people listening? I would just share that um, the message that all comes back to you and how truly amazing you are. And if you'd like to learn anything more about me, you can find me at candaceallen.ca and maybe Jasper can share that link. Um, and things are growing and shifting right now with my business. So stay tuned because the soul spark is, uh, is going to really ignite in my life. Um, so I can't wait to share that with you, with your audience and all the other people who cross my path. And I just thank everybody who tuned in. Thank you very much for that, uh, Candice. And I hope to, um, to see you soon. And thanks to everyone for listening. Thank you.